Welcome to This Is Not About Your Body, a body neutrality podcast where we talk about all the real shit body image issues are actually about because they are never just about the way you look. I'm your host, Jesse Neeland, and today I have with me Jeanette Thompson-Wesson, who is a nutritionist and fat content creator who specializes in intuitive eating and fat joy and helping fat people become intuitive eaters so they can live their best nourished and fulfilled lives. Um, I discovered Jeanette as the mindset nutritionist on Instagram, and I loved her content and perspective so much, so I had to invite her on here. So welcome, Jeanette. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on today. Of course. So I'm going to have us just start with the basics and have you uh, talk a little bit about yourself and the work that you do. Oh, that's a difficult thing to start. It is. Um, well as you said I am a fat nutritionist Um, I have been spending my time just passionately wanting fat people to just unapologetically take up space because we are told from all angles of society to shrink ourselves just as much as possible Um, and I feel like there's so much against people being in fat bodies at the moment. We've got weight loss surgeries, got weight loss drugs. Yeah. There's so much that's turning against us. that It feels really difficult to exist in fat bodies right now. And I fully believe that people who are trying to look for things, and I don't blame anyone who's going to end up with like weight loss surgery or on weight loss drugs. I don't blame anyone because it's society's fault. It's yeah. not the individual's fault that these things, these choices are being made. And I fully believe if, if someone stopped them for a moment and just went, hold on a second, have you done some work around this? Have you tried to take back the word fat? Have you tried these things because I wholeheartedly think if that, that was accessible to people that maybe not everyone would say no to those things but a big majority would say no to those things mm. but um you know there's so there's a growing number of like fat content creators and you know fat professionals as well kind of coming into the scene that we are needed in this space absolutely yeah. needed in this space so that's the space that I unapologetically now take up um, because I recognize that people really need this and people need to have a fat person that has this messaging come from as well and me personally I think I was looking back not even that long ago I think it's my last diet was my last proper fully invested diet was about eight nine years ago um, and it was something in the UK that's very similar to similar to Weight Watchers it's Slimming World yeah and um I did it for a year I lost three four stone with that and that that where I was eating so little mm. so and there the science the nutrition scientist in me was very much like I don't understand this because I'm not nourishing my body I'm not getting the nutrients that my brain right. needs. and there was this like dichotomy in my brain I'm going but I'm not like my snacks either didn't exist or was me binging on ham in front of the fridge because I was so hungry and ham was free on the diet you know free <laughs> like right. I, I could eat as much ham as I wanted to have without it apparently putting making me put on weight and in my brain it, nothing worked nothing was like coming together I was just yeah how can ham be and only ham be a nourishing thing for my body yet I'm being told from so many angles that my body is not good enough my body is not worthy I'm unhealthy inherently from being in a fat body and it just never it never just I just didn't understand it until years later someone said to me oh have you heard about health at every size and that was literally I was like sorry and I did this deep dive into that and there was my light bulb moment of yeah this makes so much sense my body is literally supposed to be fat yeah I'm supposed to be this way I know that when I nourish myself then this is how my body looks yeah and there was a lot that came up with that um okay I have a lot of thoughts but I'm gonna try and keep it streamlined here because I share (laughs) a background from 
like I came to this work from the fitness industry as a personal trainer. And I do feel like there's something in when you're coming from the nutrition and fitness space and you find science really interesting Mm. that it's like, it, it is a very hard transition in some ways to get away from that and be like, but it was evidence-based, but you know, I read the research, like this is what, you know, body recomposition looks like. Um, but yeah, health at every size was also one of my first introductions and yeah, set me off down the path too. So I love that. Um, also you just said the word fat about 500 times. So I am just going to hold that some of our listeners are going to be a little uncomfortable and I'd love you to speak directly, uh, to the fact I also use it as a neutral descriptor, but you know, in case anyone's sitting in their car right now or whatever, being like cringing. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about why you use the word fat as opposed to some other descriptor? I use fat because it is a word that is used. It's like a hate word, right? Where you, like when people are fat from childhood or even not fat from childhood, we learn from such a, a young age that fat is bad. And you use that as a really easy insult. Yeah. And it's just battered around. People would just be like, you're fat, you're fat, you're fat. Now, what if we take that back? Because that's an insult for someone's appearance, right? That's mm-hmm. something that people can't control. People don't choose to exist in a fat body because if we chose to exist in a fat body, fat people wouldn't exist because the world hates fat people and fatness right. so much. So if we take that word back, and own that and I say it as if it's the easiest thing in the world I recognize it is hard Mm -hmm. it is so incredibly hard to take that word back but then when that word becomes something that is neutral to you when that word becomes something that is just this is just how I am existing in this body right now it comes with incredible power because then you start changing your relationship with yourself and your body it's kind of the first step in going okay this is me this is this is my body and I am enough and I am worthy and I am fat and that is neutral yeah then hopefully in the future once you've taken that back and you find the power of taking that word back and literally saying to people I am fat. And then it's this, this funny thing of people being like, oh, oh, uh, 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 no, you're, no, you're, no, you're beautiful. You're not yeah. fat, you're beautiful. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm, I'm both. And I'm yeah. happy with that. Yeah. I wouldn't have myself any other way. And you actually can find a place of fat joy as well. So it's, it sounds quite out there really for some people to be thinking the word fat and joy yeah. together. Um, but it, there is, there's so much fat joy in the world. It really is. <sighs> Great answer. Also, I think that we see this uh, with the word queer, but the word queer has had longer in this space to kind of become a a warm, friendly, cozy word in our society, whereas fat is just beginning its journey to a warm, friendly, cozy word. In the UK, when I was growing up, um, obviously in a homophobic environment, because that's just the world, right? We we have all these things we're going to work on. Um, I remember gay being the insult. You're yeah, me gay. too. And using that as like a really like how awful is it to be gay? I I could I, like if someone did that in front of me right now, I'd be the one to go hold on a second. Right, right. No, no. And that's the same here. It, it's it's very much like no, we don't use gay as an insult because gay isn't an insult. Right. Gay isn't once again a choice. It is. Yeah. Some- someone who loves another person mm-hmm. and that why would we be using that as an insult yeah. it's the same with fat fat's on that same journey you know gay that word has been taken back by the lgbtqia community yeah fat, we're taking that back within our yeah. community our fat community and we'll get there eventually there's also something you can see in that playing out where it just doesn't make any freaking sense anymore because our context for the word gay or queer has changed so dramatically that like it it would literally be confusing to me for I would have a moment of cognitive dissonance if someone tried to use it as a slur because I'd be like I'm wait what what is what are you trying to because it just doesn't land that way anymore and we can see how that has become neutral I mean what 25 years in 25 years something like that yeah 
And I, I agree with you. I think fat's going that direction too. I love that. I think, I think there's this, there's a huge group of people who are now not accepting that we shouldn't be commenting on other people's appearance because we, you know, we can't have, and I think fat is going to be the one of those last things because there's, there's usually a caveat to that, isn't there? Is that we, we don't have control over our appearance. Yeah. But you could be thinner. And Mm. so we have that still, and there's still, you know, there's so much work that comes in us individually to try and separate ourselves from that and that harm and the trauma that comes from that as well um but then on a societal level societal level there's so much you know to to think about with like weight stigma and the experience of weight stigma and the anti-fatness and you know fat representation it just there it just isn't fat representation which is why people are coming to social media to try and find that social like that that representation that we deserve yep Um, but it's just not when you turn on the TV, it's not there. We don't have fat people just exist in their lives. Fat people are the joke, mm-hmm. the kind of person on the sidelines. Um, we're the person who should be like losing weight, you know, all of these things other than just a fat person existing and living their best life. Like, why can't we see more of that, please? Yeah. Ooh, and another parallel there. I feel like we're just getting to that place recently with the queer space, queer representation has made a huge, huge shift in the last like five, 10 years. And that was way later in the process. So it might be a while for fat yeah. representation. Ugh. Oh, okay. no. <laughs> I know. Sorry, everybody. I'm bumming everyone out. Okay. So yes, weight is not in our control the way that we've all been taught it is. Um, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about what that means or yeah, for anybody who's sitting there being like, but isn't it though? Do you think you can speak to that? You know, just in a quick little spiel, pack all the science into 30 seconds here. I'll do it in 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> um, so weight doesn't equal like health. We don't have control over all of these things, the things we see on social media and incredible, powerful messages, but also confusing messages when when you log onto the internet and you search any kind of health, like thing and google it the first thing that comes up is oh you got to lose weight if you lose weight yeah. it's cure you you know this we've got all of that that's going on and it it all kind of feeds into itself and oh i don't know really where to where do i start with this because <laughs> it's so big isn't it it is it's, it's huge i know um i guess just what well, do you say to someone who says but it seems like it is because i've lost weight when i dieted for example Oh, so isn't that, it I, in our control? It's not in our control because we have like our bot our bodies are so complicated, right? There are so many things that we don't actually know about our body. And there are scientists working on these things. There's reasons why we haven't got cures for cancer right now. And we can't find vaccinations for everything under the sun because our body is inherently and incredibly complicated and that's the same with our weight like our weight we do not there are people who are working on the dna in the background of of how our dna is expressed with our weight and they're they have massive question marks being like we we know that there's stuff going on with our dna and also how that dna is expressed and then how that dna actually has an impact on our body and how it's read so there's multiple layers just with our dna alone and they know that our dna has a big impact on our weight but how they have no idea and then the question they're asking is is it because of the dna that we're fat or is there an expression issue and they're coming from it not from a fix thing it's more of an interest of so how are these diseases or these health problems that are correlated with flatness how is that impacting with this dna so we have these multiple layers of things going on so DNA is a massive thing in regards to our weight. You can probably sit there, if you're sitting there and listening to this and you have um, a large or a fat body yourself, think about your family. Like commonly, you probably have people in your family who are also in a large body. Some people obviously don't have that. So when we think about that, it's also about um, how, how, you know, our lives. Like think about your life. Think about what you don't have in control of your life, like your social economics, like where do you live? Um, 
your education level, loads of different things come into this. And when I say education level, I'm not talking about, oh, if you don't go um, up high enough with your education level, then you're going to be, it, it's big, it's a bigger, wider conversation than that. It's how much access have you had? Has mm -hmm. your government helped you with that access? Because all of that impacts on you and your weight. It's not necessarily, yeah. oh, I did multiple degrees and therefore I'm, you know, it's not that kind of low yeah. level kind of thinking. We're going deeper into this. So there's even been research about how close people are to big major roads and the closer you are to big major roads and the pollution that also has an impact on the expression on your DNA and then also increases your um, weight as well and yeah. when we think about that we're thinking oh the majority of people who are around those kind of areas with high levels of pollution maybe people who are maybe on the bread line you know people mm -hmm. who are much more disadvantaged maybe not financially advantaged usually people in you know the BIPOC community you know that kind those kinds of areas yeah. are going to have those kinds of problems and then you have a whole load of weight stigma on top of that and weight stigma actually has been shown to increase your weight as well because of the trauma that you hold and the yeah. shame and the sadness and everything that happens from that weight yeah. experience that weight stigma that you experience and you can't control that yeah. you can't control that kind of experience that you get so basically we have no control <laughs> for loads of reasons such a complex on, answer i know there's so much you didn't even touch on like god it is i think so much easier to understand calories in versus calories out and want that to be the case than it is to have an honest nuanced and accurate understanding yeah. of what goes into this kind of thing. Like I understand the appeal of having a super simple paradigm, even if it's harming people, it, it's a complex issue. And that is not how we're taught to think about things like this, especially it, in something so loaded with weight stigma and oppression. I think, I just think it's oversimplified and I feel like it's sad sometimes of how oversimplified it is because um, we're almost it, I think it comes down to a bit of white supremacy. We're just expecting that people who have all these certificates and these multiple degrees and these multiple levels of education above them, and they're looking down at everyone else going, okay, well, we need to simplify it to these yeah. people below us. Ooh. We're not stupid. People without certificates are not stupid people. None of us are right. stupid. And I feel that there's that level there and of a lot of people kind of looking down at people. We don't need to oversimplify things for people. Yeah. We can still have these nuanced conversations with anybody and we shouldn't be stripping their autonomy away so much because people think that when you have a certificate, you know more and you're going to understand more. Like, why can't we talk to people on their own level? Oh. Why do we have to have that jargon there? That's so true. It's so patronizing. Mm. That's interesting. Okay. Um, so I wanted to ask about the role of intuitive eating. Mm -hmm. Once you've basically named that we don't have control over our weight, then the reasonable next step is I'm not going to diet and try to lose weight since that's, you know, if that there's no purpose to that. And basically what we have as an offering for the next option is intuitive eating. So could you describe intuitive eating a little bit, sort of if somebody hasn't been introduced to the concept, what it is? Intuitive eating is a way of nourishing yourself in a way that serves you in your life. And that kind of sums it up for me. I really like it. I like that. Notice how I don't use the word health. Right. And that is fully intentional. And it's intentional because as soon as we start adding that word health in there, we add a morality into there because uh -huh. society makes um, health a moral issue. And actually, once again, like I said, that weight isn't something we can control. Um, a lot of our health isn't something we can control as well. As soon yeah. as we start placing that morality on top of health, then if someone, you know, ends up being ill for whatever reason, that intense guilt and shame. I find that's a lot with people who end up um, being diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. There's a massive stigma with yeah. being diagnosed with that. And if we can start really early on 
um, shifting the conversation of health, not being also something that is fully controlled by ourselves, then people like experience less stigma when they actually end up and less of that. Oh my God, if I just would have eaten, would have eaten less sugar in the whole of my life, then I wouldn't have ended up with diabetes. And actually the conversation is you probably would have ended up with diabetes anyway. It's just that your life would have been a little bit more boring because you didn't have sugar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is a great definition. I love that it's so uh, concise. And it doesn't go into a lot of the stuff that I normally think of in a definition for intuitive eating. So uh, you, intentional. <laughs> I know, I think that's great. Yeah. Cause I think I probably focus on the listening to your body part. Yeah. That's usually where my head goes that you're, you're allowing your body to tell you what you need as opposed to following like an external plan that somebody, society, whoever has given you. Um, But yeah, it could be anything. And maybe you don't even have to listen to your body for it to work because it's whatever kind of eating serves you in your life. Yeah. And that's exactly so. When we think about people who are neurodivergent, Uh neurodivergent people, they don't have, they, they can't, it's not that they don't have the same um, signals in our body. It's just that people say, for example, ADHD is where my brain goes with it. Someone with ADHD finds it incredibly hard to listen to their own hunger signals and their fullness signals. And they may be there and some people with ADHD may be able to figure those out, but it's actually very, very rare for an someone with ADHD to actually feel those signals. Um, And it's not something that's inherently wrong with them. Once again, it's because they're neurodivergent. It's just that neurodivergent people can't do things the same way as neurotypical people when an expecting um, someone who's neurodivergent to act the same way as a neurotypical person we can harm them right yeah. so I don't talk about that in my definition because I'm thinking about people who can't hear that mm. who would, will probably need a little bit more of a structured and a structured and a reminder of when to eat and um, which will help them along their way with their intuitive eating and a lot of those people will just need to carry on having right. that structure and that those reminders throughout all right. of their eating that they need to do because that's the way that nourishes them best and as soon as we start kind of talking mainly about this is you know you get to listen to your body then we're almost closing the doors to neurodivergent people to being able yeah. to access intuitive eating that is a fantastic point and not something that I've really thought about. Do you think that you could, do you know the answer? Is there an answer to why someone with ADHD would have less of a connection to those cues? I'm so curious. Um, Maybe there's no answer. I just, uh, if you have one. Their interception is just really, is, is just very different. difficult. They find it very difficult to get okay. that interception, but also the kind of layers of, um, forgetting if you know ADHD that part makes or, sense yeah yeah if, as soon as you put something in the cupboard it's forgot hyperfocus as well yeah if you're sitting down you're hyperfocusing for hours uh-huh. you can hyperfocus easily through breakfast and lunch and you get to dinner and go I just I haven't eaten anything all day yeah. so their hunger signals may be there somewhere but they're not loud enough to be able to gotcha. interrupt that hyperfocus Oof. so there's many reasons why you know so what and and you know, there's, you know, we could, we could go really deep into all of this and talk about other new neurodivergent people, but those are just some examples. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I know that um, something that you're really passionate about is making sure that this is accessible to neurodivergent folks and also really educating people on the differences and how the intuitive journey might, intuitive eating journey might look if you are actually neurodivergent so that there's not that feeling of it being prohibitive or like not working or sort of creating shame. So let's just look at that a little bit. Do you have other um, examples of differences for someone who is neurodivergent versus neurotypical when it comes to what the intuitive eating process tends to look like? Mindful eating can look really different. Say more Mindful about that. It's really, really, really tricky for people um, who are neurodivergent it, it could be something that's really uncomfortable to sit there and trying to do mindful eating so usually when we're talking about 
mindful eating with a neurotypical person we're talking about okay don't turn on the tv remove distractions try Mm -hmm. to you know be mindful focus on your meal you know how how does it taste what's the texture you know all of those kind of things actually that can be really overwhelming and overstimulating for someone really it, it can be a situation where it just feels really uncomfortable and what we don't want to be doing is removing something that feels um that well not doesn't feel that isn't going to serve them if we're telling someone to do Mm. mindful eating and they cannot do it then that comes up a lot of people who are neurodivergent like they feel from society that their life isn't put together it isn't doesn't come across the way that they want it to their houses aren't clean like everyone else is like you know the, the, the clutter that can be around especially with like adhd and they feel as if they should be doing better in society. They should be better put together, better human beings. And I say this because, you know, we need to strip ourselves of all of those yeah. feelings. And once again, that takes work to be yeah. able to do that. But if we're if we're kind of ex- putting those expectations on, they're really harmful. So with mindful eating, where we go for is actually don't switch off your TV. If that's something that helps you yeah. and that helps you in that moment, switch on your tv you don't have to be mindful in the way that this is specifically telling you to can you be mindful in a more of a different way so can you be mindful in your environment so you're like okay i'm eating this meal i'm enjoying this meal why am i enjoying this meal i have got the tv on and that's really nice i've got this kind of this kind of way of eating which I really enjoy I like the lights I like the sounds I like what I'm listening to uh, then I like the taste and the texture and the yeah. combination all of that together why do I like that and picking that up but without any shame because right. if we tell people to turn off the tv we're adding to shame I can't yeah. do this so it, it's trying to be make it as accessible as possible knowing that you know intuitive eating it is very much if we're being really really about intuitive eating it's for people who have financial privilege mm-hmm. um who generally are in smaller bodies um who are neurotypical who are traditionally quite white you know we it's, it's there's a whole lot of privilege in yeah. intuitive eating and for me I like to find ways to make it accessible to as many people as possible Yeah, because I feel like that's right. Yeah. So something about this that I really love is I define body neutrality as the process of stripping away moral significance and meaning from our bodies. Yeah. I don't talk a ton about food in my content, but I certainly will always include like food neutrality is basically stripping away the moral significance and meaning of food. But you're actually taking it like even further in a way that often doesn't get talked about, which is really stripping away like moral significance of eating, not just foods, like the the idea that there are no good foods and bad foods. I think people have all heard, but certainly if you get into this space and learn about intuitive eating, you are going to learn that there is the right way to do it, the good way to do it. And that if you can't do that, you're sort of doing something wrong. And that I feel like is the moralizing of like healing and wellness culture that drives me bonkers. Yes. Because then you're here trying to like fight against stigma and you're facing this whole other stigma about how good intuitive eaters look. And how is this helping? It it doesn't help. That's the the issue, isn't it? We're replacing with um, some expectations with another thing. Yeah. that's not helpful for anybody literally anybody that's going to harm obviously our people who have multiple marginalized and oppressed identities but in general it harms everyone which is why I fully believe we need to talk about this it's something I talk about with my clients is trying to actually make them realize that it's not we don't just want to think about the food as it is we're taking a wider angle a wide like taking a step back to look at the whole thing because yeah. our eating environment is important. But what about that is important? And that's going to look different for every single person as well. Yeah. And helping people with that is just as important as helping people with the physical food that's that they might put in front yes. of them as well. Also, it just makes me think of um, meditation, because I feel like when I started getting into the healing space, 
And every single person on the goddamn planet told me I needed to like sit mindfully for 20 minutes every day in order to basically be healed. And I carried shame about not only my lack of meditating, but how much I disliked it uh, for years before basically realizing, oh, shit, this is another area I've moralized. It's just that I didn't see it at first because it came from these like healing people. Yeah. The same thing happens in this space for sure. Yeah. And that what you experience there is really common with people who are ADHD. That's actually what what I learned. Yeah, it was uh, basically neurodivergent and people with trauma Mm-hmm. maybe shouldn't be told to sit still for 20 minutes <laughs> and like that doesn't feel safe to them can we please have a more nuanced conversation about where yeah. mindfulness can play a role yeah. um so yeah okay uh I think where do I go with this because there's so much interesting stuff in this I think I'd like to hear more about what you were saying about it being an incredibly privileged journey so you haven't defined the intuitive eating uh journey as the way that most people have probably encountered it. So just to define it that way, usually it's something like it's a way of eating in which you listen to your body and eat whatever you want, whenever you want. But also by doing it this way, you're going to want to eat sort of moderately or healthy-ish or whatever. Like that's that's generally what people will come across, right? Am yeah. I missing anything in that definition? No, it's roundabout, right? Okay. Yeah. So the idea of eating anything you want, whenever you want, mm-hmm. that financial and class privilege is baked into that so deeply. Can you talk about like how you work with people of different privilege levels in that space who maybe can't just go waste money on food or hit their craving in order to be a good intuitive eater in that moment? Or yeah, what does the difference look like when you're working with people in that position? It looks like body respect. What does it mean? looks like talking to them going this isn't just because giving yourself unconditional permission to eat and also listening you know responding to your hunger signals just because you can't do those and not those aren't accessible to you right now it doesn't mean you aren't an intuitive eater and I think this is the thing we have been so taught by diets that either you're doing a diet or you're not doing a diet, you're on the bandwagon, yeah. you're off the bandwagon. But when people people are becoming, you know, trying to become intuitive eaters, there's none of this, oh, I've fallen off this bandwagon, or I can't do this at the moment. It's just a, yeah. it's a tool, right? And it's a tool we can put down. And that's what I say to people, give yourself permission to be able to take intuitive eating and go, I'm going to temporarily put that down when my life is back in the place where I do have more money that I can financially access this, right? then I can pick that back up again. But I'm not going to feel bad about that because it's not my fault that I'm in the situation. There's so many other things. That, and that's the real key there is kind of helping people understand that they can give themselves so much compassion in that moment to know yeah. that there's no shame in putting tools down tools can serve us tools are brilliant you know intu- I'm, I'm passionate about intuitive eating I wish that everyone could do it but realistically not everyone can do it all the time being yeah. able to know that they can just place it safely down and come to that back to that when they need that knowing that they've got yeah. those tools that they can bring back into their lives whenever they want to and I think being able to give people that permission is really wonderful to do that yeah. because then you strip the shame away because when we look at all the messages around people, you know, who don't have enough money to be able to access basic food rights, which should be a human, a human right yeah, just yeah. to get basic food and drink and have access to basic food to drink. It is crazy. In 2023, we have people who cannot do that. Right. And if we're thinking about these people, and the messaging of like, you should be able to, you know, ultra processed food at the moment. It's been a massive thing that people have been yeah. talking about. And I, I do air quotation usually, air quotation, air ultra processed food. It's a layer of shame that people don't need yeah. during a cost of living crisis. Yeah. I don't understand why they're doing it right now because why shame a whole load of people who may only be able to afford some chicken nuggets and chips because they're super cheap right now i'd much rather people be putting something on their plates 
they're nothing because they're so scared of ultra processed food Absolutely. I just don't understand it I you know it's, it's that's also another conversation yeah I mean it is quite literally saying you're bad because you're poor yeah you're failing and you should you're feel bad about it you should feel yeah and, and it's a, definitely your fault so is it, like, it's, it's not though is it and of course that's why I when I work with people who are in that situation it's a you place it down it's yeah. okay you'll come back to it this isn't your fault I'm also trying to think of another example where we feel quite the same amount of shame self-blame or stigma around not being able to meet our needs in the moment and I'm struggling to come up with one because you know like if you're really tired and can't sleep a whole lot this week we don't usually get down on ourselves like what is wrong with me that I'm not meeting my sleep needs like I don't think other areas generally carry this same kind of moralizing and obviously what is wrong with me why can't I diet is one way of being shamed and stigmatized but then also what's wrong with me why can't I you know get the food to be a perfect intuitive eater is another yeah yeah all right so your brand is for fat people for fat tell people. me about the difference when approaching the intuitive eating journey for someone in a fat body versus a straight sized body what are the differences that you see that make it so important to have someone just focusing on that one experience it's harder in 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 one really kind of brief thing it's it's far harder when you are a fat person trying to reject diets and just trying to put weight in the back burner when you have diets but you are literally quite literally targeted and you're targeted targeted from sponsored ads like when you're scrolling through social media and you get yeah. that kind of you know do your intermittent fasting and and all of that kind of thing or even so far as to having a pt just turn up in your dms and be like, hi, I think I'll be really useful for you. Would you like to lose weight with mm. me? I've got a great challenge going on. Um, and it's 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 unwelcome because it's just yeah. someone who you don't know who's found you and gone, oh, that's a fat person. They want to yeah. lose weight. And they just yeah. slide into your DMs. You know, we get that all the time. Yeah. So we can't put weight on the back burner. We can't just really, you know, we can't just as easily i mean everyone finds it difficult to reject diets but when our bodies are so harshly stigmatized when we're told that if we don't lose weight we're going to die before we're 50 or as i've been told by quite a few trolls and i take it as a compliment really that i'm going to die before i'm 30 i'm 35 and i quite like telling them that <laughs> i must be so oh because here i am wow <laughs> But I mean, that's it. We we get that that we get the overt kind of conversation yeah. from people. We get the much more subtle anti-fatness as well. So it makes it far more difficult for people to go into even just to start the intuitive eating stuff. You know, trying to reject that. Yeah, it's it's when we're doing stuff with you know a fat person, we're not just thinking about their eating. We're also thinking about how they feel in their body because if we're not helping them externalize their own internal anti-fatness then no matter how far we get with intuitive eating there's still going to be that fear of but what if I get fatter yeah and when you are a fat person anyway and you know what life is like as a fat person anyway that fear and you haven't actually yeah. challenged your own internalized anti-fatness that fear of getting fatter than what you are right now and the loss of privilege you'll know that you're going to have yeah. is so intense and being able to work through that while you're going yeah. through intuitive eating can be incredibly healing as can fat community and that's one thing that you know fat people don't have we don't have a, especially people who are going through intuitive eating and radically really radically rejecting diets there's not many of us around you know you can go to a weight loss club and everyone's going to be there probably a big large fat yeah. body but they're all going to be talking rubbish about themselves they're going to be mm -hmm. hating themselves and I get it I've been there 
I've been there, done that. I was also one of those people in the past who was doing the same thing, who was also um, being collapsed because I was slimmer of the week because I had a sickness and diarrhea bug and I lost a whole load of weight, which now is crazy. But at the time, I was really proud of myself. I was like, I'm glad it lasted that long because I'm so glad I lost that weight. You know, so I've been there. But when you step, step out of dieting, you almost lose that community. Yeah. And it can feel lonely. Because then also you have questions from other people, but why aren't you dieting? And and how do you answer that? And it becomes this thing of I'm interested, but then do you have the energy to be able to explain yeah. to people? But actually I've been reading about health at every size. I've, found, I've been following loads of fat positive creators. Mm. And I, I now want to start describing myself as fat. Then, oh, but you're fat and beautiful. Oh no, I'm worried about your health. Yeah. And, you know, all of these things kind of come up straight away. So having fat community i feel like it 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 just feel i started a new group on monday um for my group coaching and one of the one of the people who was there just went i think it was even just 20 minutes in she was like just being here with fat people who just get it oh. is so empowering and so safe and so wonderful and it, it just filled, yeah. filled my heart up. I was just like, this is exactly why I created the space because yeah. we need community. We lose yeah. it when we, we, we when we reject dieting. So yeah. there's a big reason why I ended up just going, no, I'm going to be exclusively for, for fat people. Yeah, I want to give fat people that safety with a fat person in front of them as well. So they know that I get it. Yes. God, that's so beautiful and moving. I love that. Also, I feel like for for people at any size uh, with clients, I I often find myself saying that if people who are on board with this mm. or other fat folks don't ex- like who are willing to talk positively and change, you know, like if that doesn't exist in your town, in your family, in your community, you you basically have to go find it on the internet or the reasons that I give so many book recommendations, even though I think a lot of the information in the books that I recommend is dope and helpful, it's more like you have 10 friends now who yeah. all get it because yeah. you read 10 books and everyone was on board. It just shifts the feeling of like, I'm the outsider in this space. I'm wrong. Mm. And we, we cannot do this kind of dismantling work without like if we feel alone we just can't it's just so lonely isn't it and it takes so much energy yeah and it's just yeah it's not how we're wired we were never supposed to go forth and do stuff like this alone we are communal people that community is huge so in your work then do you see there being anything when working with like these extra obstacles, extra hardships facing fat people who are trying to move through the intuitive eating journey. Um, do you have any specific like tools that you use in those spaces that are specific um, or, you know, strategies or yeah. Do you have like uh, approaches that uh, apply only or mostly with fat people going through it? Well, uh, the main ones that I use that are exclusively for fat people is, fat liberation education and also fat futurist education as well because we can't you know if we're trying to work with ourselves individually even more power from the community comes from fat liberationist spaces and being able to educate people in fat liberation and give them that kind of community to fall into as well and also to think about wider than ourselves also gives us even more power and even more security and more stability in our journey as well knowing that there's other fat liberationists you know some people like to lean more towards I find that we have especially in the start of their journeys we have people who end up who are just incredibly sad incredibly sad about how their lives have gone because of how they've been treated about their bodies and they realize that it's not their fault but it's just they're really sad and then other people are just really angry how dare I get treated this way and forced to do this and this and this to my body they feel stripped of their body autonomy throughout their Mm. lives and they feel like they've regained that back so I find that people who end up with anger end up going more towards like and fat activism and want to do things totally 
yeah which I I love but also equally I love like the people who are sad end up absorbing so much incredible work from like fat liberationist spaces and start having really wonderful conversations with the people around them and really start slowly drawing like people in which is what I love it was brilliant and but yeah I think the newest thing that I've added is fat futurism and I have been a fat liberationist for a while, but I think I lean a little bit more now towards fat futurists because there's so much hope in it. And Can you fat, define it? Yeah, being fat futurist is thinking about our future fats and what our world looks like for future fat mm. people. And that comes with so much hope for me because mm. our generation of fat people, the people who exist in this world, as fat people aren't going to be the only fat people who are here. So being able to look forward towards the people who are going to either become fat or who are going to be born fat or just exist as fat people, trying to help them move through life as a fat person is fat futurist. It's challenging um, fertility places. It's, It's challenging them and going, so you have a BMI cutoff for IVF and yeah. fertility support. You know, that's, you know, really extremely quite, you know, eugenic. Yeah, like yeah, we are yeah. trying to get rid of fat people. We know that DNA, that fat people come from DNA as well. If we are preventing more fat people from being born because of an arbitrary thing like BMI, you know, what is that looking for? Like, like for the f- people in our future and mm. their own mental health. Yeah. Um, it's looking towards how the state of our healthcare is. You know, if our state of our healthcare is so heavily stigmatized and that people are being constantly traumatized, which has a physical impact on us, then yes, there are going to be less fat people. That's because they're dying early, not because yeah. of their fat, because of the trauma they are yeah. actually picking up just for being in a fat body. Yeah. And I can tell you that weight stigma is awful. It is horrendous. Yeah. And um, it's something that I've ended up picking up PTSD from. So it has an incredible impact on people. Yeah. So I only recently, like like maybe a month ago, came across the term fat futurist. So this is super fascinating. I haven't got to talk to anybody about it. But I feel more hopeful even just hearing you talk about it. I mean, that does feel really incredible and warm. And I think knowing how difficult it can be to uh, do some of this work and take up some of this space and fight for yourself it's so much harder for a lot of people to do that than it is to fight for some on someone else's behalf. So it, it gives this like booster system of like, okay, if you don't feel worthy of doing it for yourself today, thinking about this world. Oh, that's so, I love that. And I really warm, isn't it? Like you said, it's really really warm. There's so much, I think when we talk about fat, liberation there feels almost sometimes like um a pull down sometimes I feel like it has a down energy sometimes and not that I you know I still am a fat liberationist I still very much love the education that's there fully you know I I really enjoy that side of things but I feel like fat futurist is that lift up energy (sighs) that kind of hope that we can get from the future rather than us plodding along trying to carry on as we are now no there is hope for the future yeah Um, for people who exist in fat bodies there is a kind of future ahead and we can work towards that yeah I I would agree I also identify as a fat liberationist and I actually give all of this material pretty much to clients and anybody's who are dealing with weight stuff because I just think it's so important uh but I almost feel like maybe the reason it has a downward pull is it feels like uh, justice will be served and then it's done almost, you know, it's like yeah. we're fighting for equality and then there's like this draw off point yeah. instead of the futurism ideas, like it's a continued evolution. It continues to grow and evolve and get better. Yeah, it does feel really different. 
And I feel like we deserve more than just, and I say just, but just isn't the right word. Like fat liberationists, we want to have, you know, health equalities. We want to have political yeah, equalities. Yeah. We want to have housing, work equalities, you know, all of these things that should be basic needs for us yeah. as human beings. And we're not there. Obviously we're not there yet. And fat liberationist kind of stops there, whereas fat futurist, like you said, takes that further. Yeah. And that's and what, what about it. When I imagine fat joy, it's like it could exist with liberation, of course, but it definitely exists with futurism. Like oh, yeah. that's where I imagine it just thriving. It's we like this is the world. Yeah. Thriving yeah. in a fat futurist world. Oh, that's beautiful. Okay. Um Anything I haven't asked you about yet that you want to talk about? I'm I had a bunch of questions around like the privilege stuff. Um, but I just think that you're a fascinating human and everything you say is amazing. So I also just oh. wanna I just wanna ask. Oh, thank you. Um I don't know. Uh, I think we've kind of Oh, I did have uh sorry, oh. you can finish. Go on. No, no, no. I was gonna okay. say I don't have anything else, but I had an Instagram post oh. I wanted to talk about of yours that I loved so much. So you wrote PSA. Even if being in a larger body was undoubtedly a bad thing, there is still not any safe or reliable way to lose weight and keep it off. I wanted to like blow this up <laughs> and hang it everywhere because I I feel like it's such an important message and a lot of anti-diet content understandably revolves around this content of like fat liberation. It's okay to be fat, but a lot of people are not there yet. Yeah. And this speaks to a whole other reason to do the pursuit of intuitive eating or anti-diet, which is it didn't work. It's not working. It doesn't work. It's so simple. And even if you're not in a place of like, yes, liberation, go fat bodies, that is a that is a pretty damn good reason to move away from what we've been offered. So I was hoping just to have you clarify that maybe a little bit and and talk about why it's so important to acknowledge. Wow. You know, just diets don't work. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> just they just don't work. I did a deep dive actually into you know when we're in these like anti-diet spaces, a big statistic that comes up is ninety-five percent of diets don't work, right? Um, I actually disputed that, um, and I did dispute that because uh, my scientific brain was like, I don't get this. I don't understand this because. I said before how complicated we are. There's no way to put a statistic on something that is so complicated as um, diets working or not working. Yeah. But we can listen to a whole load of lived experience as well. We've got lived experience. We have got yeah. statistics and the statistics vary from we've got like 67% all the way up to 95% of diets don't work. But we know they don't work and we know that they don't work because we have to keep on doing them. Right. If we if if it worked we wouldn't have like a what is it like a 72 billion dollar like industry that's yeah. growing and is predict predicted to continue growing into like the yeah. hundreds of billions um in like the next couple of years yeah if diets worked that number wouldn't be getting bigger that would get it getting smaller yeah if diets worked then the diets that came out in the 60s and 70s would ha have had an impact we would have far less fat people than we have now yep. diets don't work and that's the reality of things and it's it's hard as well it's hard to hear that it's hard to think to yourself you know how many diets have you done that a perfect diet doesn't exist yeah. When you're thinking to yourself, okay, this diet didn't work. Let's try another one. Maybe I need to try keto. Maybe keto work for me this yeah. time. They just don't work. They they kind of go on similar principles, which is they're trying to make you restrict. They're trying to yeah. get you to eat less of something. So no matter if you call weight loss, like calorie counting, I'm not dieting. I'm yeah, calorie yeah. counting. It's still a form of restriction. Yeah, It's still not going to work. So regardless or not, of if we bring health into things and all these other bits and pieces but diets still don't and we're seeing that message we're also yeah. seeing that message from um diets themselves now we have like diets like zoe oh my god the mental gymnastics happening in the diet industry to be like we're not a diet 
we're not a diet like and we only have to say that because we know you don't think diets work but this will because you still want to lose weight so oh my god oh it's awful we've got the zoe diet in england and the person who does zoe has been talking about the same studies that traditionally anti-diets people will talk about but he mis can kind of construes them as well and kind of pulls bits out of it that you're just like but that's inaccurate because he's like oh because this says this we could totally help you lose weight and i'm like yeah what it means like you're 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 look no (laughs) this isn't what it means so they're they're trying to do all of this now that because people are waking up and going okay diets don't work but then people are going but what do I do then if I'm being told by these people that I need to lose weight and diets don't work what do I do and this is my fear at the moment because people are being told okay well diets don't work just take the weight loss drug yep sorted like it's it's just gonna be easy it's gonna heal your relationship with food your body you you're not gonna have to worry about your hunger you know it's going to be fine. You're going to lose loads of weight. It's going to be really, really brilliant. It's going to be so easy. When the reality is it's something that's, it's masking that as soon as you come off that drug and there's, you know, you can only, it's licensed for like two years, I believe. Yeah. As soon as you take it, what are you going to do afterwards? That, you know, I know people who are being prescribed that drug who have binge eating disorder and that binge eating disorder is still going to be there after they've come off of that drug. Yeah. It's because you need to do that. It's you need to do the, the work behind it. A drug isn't going to help an eating disorder. I just yeah. don't understand that. But yeah, it, that's where my worry comes. It's uh, okay, but what if I don't if I don't diet, then what? And then people are jumping in because they're seeing money because pa- fat oh, people, yeah. Absolutely. Fat people make people money. Yes. And what I learned as a personal trainer Mm. was uh, diets don't work. Lifestyle changes work, which is no different than what's showing up now. However, it's also true that if the reason you gained weight in the first place had to do with unhealthy lifestyle habits, and then you make changes to them, you might lose this weight, right? So I would see it sometimes work. And this is where, you know, we can dispute the number. It's kind of hard to quantify, but 95% or whatever. Like I always say now that that 5% is probably 2.5% people with eating disorders, diagnosed or undiagnosed or disordered eating. I know because I was one of them. I had sustained weight loss, if you will, when my entire life focused around it. Like, oh yeah, it definitely worked. Uh, And then I also feel like the other half, this other tiny, tiny portion is what we imagine is going to happen, which is, you know, you just went through a hard time, stopped exercising, gained weight. So now that you start exercising, it comes right off. Mm-hmm. And I'm always like, if that was going to be you, you like it would have great. But if you're in a more or less routine lifestyle wise that feels like accessible, reasonable, it suits you, you know, you're doing something that feels like this is where I want to be. And the weight didn't come off. It's not going to come off. Like that is the only reason we see these stories of I lost it and I kept it off. It was because those were the people who only were in a bigger body because of some like lifestyle exclusive reason, you know, and that is not most people. Like, but I that is the story we're told. Yeah. And I think that's been misconstru- misconstrued, construed. Yeah. But that's been taken out of context at the moment. Uh-huh. From, exactly. Um, I had a conversation with someone on a post that actually the screenshot ended up on like a really awful gossip place. It got sent to me. And I was like, oh, oh, no. Um, but basically people have started, I've seen this like in a few places, people have been going, well, you're anti-diet so therefore you're you just you just want to keep people fat don't you you just want to keep people fat and make people yeah. fat and i'm like okay or you- what's the other thing uh glamorizing i will happily say that i'm glamorizing i was gonna say actually that's kind of a delight but um, yeah definitely um, but yeah they're taking it and they're going well you're trying to keep people fat you're trying to make people fatter and i'm like no no I'm just, I'm not putting the focus 
on how someone weighs. I'm trying yeah. to help people focus on how they live in a way that best serves them, where they can um, prioritize health where they can, knowing that health isn't a moral thing. Yeah. yeah. Trying to remove that. But we know that we have health, healthy behaviors that is going to support us. But it's trying to put those in a way that serves us in our life. That isn't going to mean that we feel shame. You know, I, I teach people something called like health stacking. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a way of like prioritizing different aspects of your health at different yeah. times, which isn't just eating well and right. exercising. That's the only things you can do. No, there's so many other things you can do yeah. to support your health that you do have control over, you know. And when I actually discuss those, I think it literally goes over people's head and they're like, no, you're anti-weight loss. I'm like, no, I just, people know when they're working with me, it's, you may get bigger, you may stay the same, you may get smaller, but none of that matters. Right. And we work on that because yes, some people may put healthy behaviors in and they, those healthy behaviors might mean that they recover into a larger body. Uh-huh. or they may stay that same or they may recover into a smaller body yep. it's wherever their body is supposed to be we don't know that until we've gone through all this and worked through all of this right but by the time that they've noticed that there's been a fluctuation in their weight that doesn't matter it, because they've kind of they've worked out their anti-fatness and their internalized anti-fatness they've yeah. worked out that actually weight loss or weight gain isn't like a failure isn't a win it just is it's just how yeah. their body wants to exist yeah whilst lo- it's doing the things <laughs> i love that it's being separated from health but then also i think in the way that you talk about it and this isn't always true in these spaces it's very clear that neither category gets to have a moral judgment on it Because I feel like a lot of times, even in intuitive eating and anti-diet spaces, they will put out a message that's like, guess what? Your health and your weight are different. And it's really important that you stay healthy. But, you know, it's like there is still that that's a sticky point for a lot of people in this space, I think, is like, okay, I've given I'm weight neutral, but I have to be healthy, whatever (laughs) that means. Yeah, I have to. Yeah. And that's that's why I think the health stuff is really important to look at and to almost redefine what health looks like for you Mm, yeah I think that's important to look at that because when we look at the majority of people's health it's okay I must never be ill I mustn't have any diseases or any chronic illnesses I must be small I must be thin because I must be a healthy weight I must eat well and I must exercise and that's a lot of pressure to put on someone yeah and then when you do end up being fat and that's out of your control then that intense failure that you feel because you're not healthy because society tells you're not healthy whereas actually you know anyone in any weight can be healthy or unhealthy but that's neither good nor bad because so many people don't choose to be ill or unhealthy it's just or don't have access to what we're sold healthy looks like yeah. Oh my goodness. Or okay. So can't yeah. meditate out of depression, you know, right, right. <laughs> Just go for a walk. <laughs> so I love this conversation. I love the permission, the compassion, the attention to the role of privilege and marginalization and the focus instead of it being, which frankly, a lot of my work and episodes of this podcast have been like, these are the goddamn problems. This feels to me like so warm. The futurist idea, I think, sits in every word you've said. And it just feels so beautiful to focus on like, yes, these are the problems, but also here's how we can talk about it differently to do less harm. Also, here's ways we can focus on things to make it better. Like, thank you so much for sharing everything. This was an incredible conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Of course. Uh, Tell a listener who wants to get in touch, find you on the internet, whatever it might be, work with you where they can find you. You can find me mainly on my Instagram um that's where you'll find all of my posts I also have a sub stack called unflattering and it's mainly focused around fat people and help fat people like accept themselves and I've got a new article coming out about just like 
the good things about being fat we don't talk oh, that about that enough I love like, it let's talk about the good things about existing in a fat body rather than all the horrible things that people talk about yes this is your vibe yeah without and so also, happy I challenge as well I challenge things like the 95 percent I've challenged yeah, yeah. like um you know when those big headliners come out and say um fat people are costing the economy this much money I broke it down so oh. have a look at that if that is something that speaks to you um I have group coaching that goes on pretty much all the time now so come and find me on Instagram and have a look and see what you like everyone listening please please go find Jeanette on Instagram um thank you so much this was fantastic and thank you to everyone listening and I'll catch you on the next episode Hey everyone, I'm Jesse Neeland and I want to take a moment to thank you for listening to this episode of the This Is Not About Your Body podcast. I put out new episodes every Tuesday, so be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss it. And if you really enjoyed it, please go ahead and leave me a review. Um, also, if you're looking for more information about body neutrality or you want to work with me, you can find me at my website, jessineeland.com. Or you can just purchase my book, Body Neutral, A Revolutionary Guide to Overcoming Body Image Issues, wherever you buy books, ebooks, or audiobooks. We can also connect on Instagram or TikTok. My handle is Jesse Neeland. And because I make this uh, podcast available for free and without any sponsors or ads, you can also feel free to show your support using the Patreon link in the show notes and know that your support, if you decide to uh, participate, is always very much appreciated. Lastly, thank you to my brother, Jason Neeland, for creating the music that plays at the beginning of the show. And thank you for listening, learning, and moving toward personal and collective body liberation. <laughs>